Amen. Good morning. We welcome each one here to our service this morning. We are going to be concluding 1 John chapter 5. You can open your Bibles there. We have the last number of verses from 1 John 5, verses 13 through 21, Lord willing. The title of the message this morning is The Christian's Confidence. Many of you uh, are aware, but when someone applies for membership here at Myerstown, we uh, generally schedule a, a meeting with them to ask them a list of questions so we are aware of uh, where they stand on different spiritual areas in their, in, their, in their walk with the Lord. And one of the first questions we ask them is, do you have the assurance of salvation? Do you know that you are saved? Or are there doubts about your salvation that trouble you at times and sometimes you wonder, you know, am I really saved? And praise the Lord, most times people have this assurance, people have this confidence, and rightly so. The, the first verse we're going to look at here this morning tells us that we need we can know that we have the assurance of salvation. A quote from Ulrich Zwingli, he was a Swiss Protestant leader in the Reformation, I quote, Our confidence in Christ does not make us lazy, negligent, or careless. So this morning we're talking about the confidence that we have in Christ. And sometimes as we go through life, we place confidence in different things. We all have our varied opinions on which vehicle is the most confident to drive. This is the one that will get us to where we need to go. And we have that on uh, men, uh, carpenters especially, in the field I'm, I'm in, we have the tools that we like. I don't think Shane's here this morning, but I offered him this certain tool one time that uh, this would help him in his job. And he said, no, Dad, that's okay. I have my tools, and that's what I use. Okay, no problem. I'll keep that tool. And one time, I went as far as offering him a pair of gloves. I said, Shane, these gloves, no, Dad, it's okay. I got my gloves. Okay. No problem, son. I'll keep my gloves as well. He had confidence in what he uses, and dad was not going to interfere. And he's not here. I'll keep on talking about him. His wife looks at him and says, Shane, just let him get... No, he said it's okay. Okay, fine. No problem there. I like my gloves and what, what we use. But at the same time, we have confidence in Christ. And we don't worry about what's going on. And I, I believe that... Uh, in the world that we're in today, and with what is happening over in Europe, that we need more and more, we need that confidence in Christ. Because if you're here this morning and you're fearful, God forbid. If you're here this morning, you have confidence in Christ, amen. We're not to live in fear. He says, have confidence in Christ, and that's where we are at. So, uh, back to Zwingli's uh, quote, our confidence that we have in Christ, we don't sit back and say, I'm confident, I, I can do whatever I want, and we don't become lazy, he says, we don't become negligent, and we don't come careless. But he says, on the contrary, instead of, it awakens us, it urges us on, and makes us active in living righteous lives and doing good. And for what I can, when I read that, I can say, Amen. We have confidence in Christ. Christ is going to carry us through. And because of the confidence that we have in Christ, our lives are going to be reflected upon that. We're going to live righteous lives and we're going to go about doing good and reaching out and helping others. His comment closes, there is no self-confidence to compare with this. So this morning, I trust we're confident in Christ. Everyone here this morning, no, I am not impressed what's happening over in Ukraine and in Russia. It does trouble me, but I still put my confidence in Christ. Is he in control? 
my God, our God, is in control. I ask the question, are you living in Christ with confidence this morning? Some things come up sometimes that we step back and we look at and we make trouble this tad. But are we living in Christ with confidence? Point number one, again, the, the, the title is The Christian's Confidence. Point number one is Confident of Eternal Life. I'm going to read verse 13, 1 John 5, 13. These things have I spoken unto you that have I, these things have I written unto you that believe on the name of the Son of God, that you may know that you have eternal life, and that you may believe on the name of the Son of God. Those of you who were here two weeks ago, Lester brought the message, and we heard, our eternal salvation is conditional. We don't believe in that once saved, always saved mentality of some teach. Our eternal salvation is conditional. We need to live in a way that pleases the Lord so that we do not lose our eternal salvation. Failing to follow God and obey his instructions will lead us to a life of sin. And what does sin do? Sin takes us away from God. So this morning, John is building our spiritual confidence in the remaining verses here in chapter 5. These things have I written unto you refers to what we have seen before in the previous verses and chapters that we covered earlier. And we a few of them, walking in the light, confessing one's sins, obeying the Lord's commands, loving the brethren, believing in, that Jesus is the Christ, and practicing righteous living. Ties in well with what Zwingli said. Are we living righteous lives? <clears throat> He says, tells us who he is writing to. Those who believe in Jesus Christ. To those who are obediently following his commands. Why is he writing this? So that those who believe may know that they have eternal life. Brothers and sisters, I'm going to use the word beautiful many times, but I'll use it right here. This is so beautiful. He's writing, said, everyone here this morning, that we may know that we have eternal life. Do you know that you have eternal life? Those who are genuinely seeking the Lord and those who are committed to walking with him will know. And I believe that assurance of salvation is key in your life, in the Christian life. Why? Because assurance of salvation, uh, it places within us a hope and a desire placed within our hearts. That even though we may face some tough times as we go about our lives, as some of us have faced just recently, uh, We are facing tough times on this side of eternity, but we are confident that glory land is waiting. So our lives, as we go through our lives today, can we say we are, let's use the word, controlled or or driven or governed by the fact that one day in the near future, we're going to stand face to face with Jesus Christ. And we have that confidence. So our lives, as as Zwingli said, we're living righteous lives, not because of what we see here on this earth, but because Glory Land is waiting. And a little bit ago, we were singing, what a day, glorious day that will be, when we stand there and face to face, come face to face with Jesus Christ. And this morning, I believe that Jesus Christ wants every child of his to know, without a shadow of a doubt, that they are saved And they are bound for the city whose builder and maker is God. John says, I wrote these things so that you may know that you have eternal life. Child of God, you need to know that you have eternal life. Child of God, if there's doubts within your mind, you need to go back to the cross. And talk to Jesus and confess and repent. John is showing us that those who believe in Christ, we will have this confidence. 
Now, don't forget, a little bit earlier I said sin takes us away from God. So if you're on that path, the confidence is going to tank. But when you're walking with the Lord and on the straight and narrow, you can have this confidence. That you, and he says, you may know that you have eternal life. Why is John so emphatic here? Well, there were false teachers back in the day that questioned whether John's readers were truly children of God. And if you look at a lot of, in the book of John, he, the false teachers were there. And so John's writing a lot that he was because to, just to uh, counterfeit what they were saying or to combat what they were saying. So he's writing so that everyone may know who they belong to, that they are a child of God, despite the opinions that these false teachers were trying to plant in their mind. So the term eternal life is not only endless in duration, but it's also spiritual in nature. Again, this is beautiful. Those who come to Christ for salvation will exist eternally in the presence of God. And I want to err on the side of being careful. I don't repeat what Lester said two weeks ago. But he talked, if you remember, and I listened to it uh, Friday again. He talked about the uh, Grand Canyon and how long it would take to fill it up with rock. How many remember what we talked about? Okay. Yeah, almost everybody. And then he said, if I can say it exactly, Lester, he said, that's like a drop in a bucket compared to what eternity is going to be like. And here we get to this morning, and those who come to Christ for salvation will exist eternally in the presence of God. Again, this is beautiful. Come to Christ, and this is what you will have. And this is God's will, and this is God's plan. We're not here today to go through life questioning our salvation. God didn't put you here this morning and say, well, I'm not sure if you're a child of God. We're not here to question that, but we, God wants you to know with confidence that you are saved. So what are we going to do? We're going to make sure we're fulfilling the conditions that God has given to us in his word. We're going to live according to what he told us to do. And then be prepared, pack your bags, for we're about ready to leave for the promised land. The bags being packed, we're not taking anything with us. We're just going to go there and dwell in his presence forever. Uh, Peter Rusakis, I quote, Who would not want to be forgiven, freed from the sin of guilt, accepted, pardoned, and acquitted, and given a new start? By faith in Christ, we are forgiven, because we've aligned ourselves with the one who satisfied God's standard of righteousness, oh, Jesus Christ. He paid the debt we owe through his undeserved crucifixion. He offered himself for the sins of everyone who believes in him, and we have a new start in life, John 3, 3. A renewed mindset, Romans 12, 2. Inner peace, Romans 5, 1. Joy and hope, Romans 13, 15, and the promise of life with God forever, John 3, 16, end quote. Who would not want to look forward to that day that we can spend eternity with Jesus Christ? So John's writing this, and who is this promise to? All who believe in Jesus Christ. Why? So that you may know that you have eternal life. This morning, have you placed your trust and your confidence in Jesus Christ? Moves on to the second point. Confident God hears and answers prayer. I'm going to read verses 14 through 17. And this is the confidence that we have in him. That if we ask anything according to his will, he heareth us. And we know that he hear us. Whatsoever we ask, we know that we have the petitions that we desired of him. If any man see, brother, sin, a sin which is not unto death, 
he shall ask, and he shall give him life for them that sin not unto death. There is a sin unto death. I do not say that he should pray for it. All unrighteousness is sin, and there is a sin not unto death. We have confidence in God. Now, confidence is a feeling or belief that we can rely on something, or in this case, someone, the Lord Jesus Christ. Confidence is firm trust, and it's firm trust with boldness. So what I see here is unwavering confidence. We can have uh, confidence without doubt. So just as we can know that we have eternal life, we also can know and have confidence that God will hear and answer our prayers. So just park that for a second. I got two history questions I want, I want an answer for if you know. History question number one. When was the Declaration of Independence signed? Okay, July 4th, 1776. Okay, thank you. That got your mind thinking. Now jump ahead 100 years. There was an invention that was patented on March the 7th of 1876. What was that? I know it's not fair because I looked it up. I know what I'm talking about and you don't. But Who said that? And did you say that because of the verses I read? You knew that. I'm impressed. <laughs> and, and who was it? You knew it was March 7th, 1876. That's, that's good. I thought maybe because of talking about prayer here, you'd pick it up. Good job. Yes, March 7th, 1876, almost 146 years ago. And I had to think about that because most times, if you're, uh, most of us have, have phones and uh, 146 years ago, we did not. Alexander Graham Bell, a telephone, made it possible to pick up the phone, call people great distances probably, and to this day we can call uh, overseas. The only mode of communication that was never patented, never updated, never busy is prayer. And we go back to what Alexander, Mr. Bell invented. You look at that, it's, I think it's something with the thing. You've got to hold it like this, if I'm not mistaken. And then we jump ahead. How many people never used a rotary phone? Okay, Eddie, how old are you? Are you older? How, how are you? 32. Think about that. Rotary phone, yeah, you go back there, and occasionally you get your finger caught in it, and so on and so forth, and not today. So it's been that long ago. Okay, interesting. What we're talking about here is communication. Let's set that back aside and go back to communicating with our Father in heaven. And that is what a prayer we'll look at this morning. And we see here that the Lord grants our requests, but sometimes... Um, we overlook the importance of that prayer must be according to his will. Our prayer must be according to his will. Psalm 37, 5, commit thy way unto the Lord, trust also in him, and he shall bring it to pass. There we see surrender. So we are called to surrender to his will. Matthew 6, 10, thy kingdom come, thy will be done as in heaven. There we see more surrender. And James 4, 3, you ask and you receive not because you ask amiss, that you may consume it upon your lust. There we see asking for things that we are not to have. And in times when it seems like God may be answer, maybe uh, God may not, it seems to us that God's not answering our prayer, we need to examine our motives and not necessarily question the character of God. 
Why? Well, we know that God loves his children, and he denies only what will harm them or harm others. And we often go to the verse, uh, Romans 8, 28. We know that all things work together for good to them that love God, to them who are called according to his purpose. And many times, I, we are quick to use that during times that we are truly blessed. But I think we need to encourage us to use that also during times when God says no to our request or when he is silent. Another question, if I may ask, let's go back last Sunday. Uh, I think Drew said, pray for, what did we ask God to provide a week ago this morning? Negative COVID tests for Philip and Deanna and their family. Monday morning. Okay, I know where the time changed, Philip. God said yes to Philip and Deanna and no to their daughter. Now I will reveal my thoughts this morning. They said they're going to get retest and wait till Thursday. And I'll tell you what I was thinking. They're coming Thursday. I'll be honest, it's exactly what I was thinking. Thursday comes along and the results are in. God said, Philip can go. He said the rest of the family needs to stay back. Romans 8.28. Why? Two verses that Deanna posted, if you have that, uh, that signal. Psalm 18.1 and 2. I love thee, O Lord, my strength. The Lord is my rock, my fortress, my deliverer, my God, my strength, in whom I will trust, my buckler, the horn of my salvation, and my high tower. I look at that. And I say, the Lord is our everything. And the Lord answered. And so we're aware that we serve a loving and a caring God. And we may never know why things turned out the way they did for Philip and his family. But according to what we saw there in Romans, we know that all things are, we're confident that all things work together for good to those who love the Lord. And though we might not know why, today we say, thank you, Jesus. And... Life will go on, Lord willing. He'll get on his flight this afternoon and be reunited in the morning, is my, my guess. The purpose of prayer is not to demand that God should adjust to our will and our plan. Sometimes, maybe we get that mixed up. After Monday, I didn't demand God give him negative COVID tests. I just prayed that he would. <clears throat> but it's rather to encourage us to adjust our will or our desires and requests to be in accordance to his will. So when we pray, let's not demand God, this is what has to happen, but let's pray, God, may your will be done. You know, through it all, the children of God can be certain that prayer will be, God will answer our prayers when prayed in accordance to his will. Prayer is an exercise in their spiritual life that is as certain in its results as in the character of the true and living God. Brothers and sisters, we need to be prayer warriors and asking God each and every time. Those who by faith have the Son of God as their Savior will have great confidence in approaching God in prayer anytime and anywhere. How many times are you driving and you, something comes to your mind and you just, you just pray for it? Is it okay to pray while you're driving? Absolutely. Is it okay if that's the only time you pray? Be careful. Prayer is not an attempt to get God to see things from our way. That's not why we're praying. Okay, God, this is, what, this is the chaos I see. I want you to straighten all this out. But it's to get him 
to help us in every way he can. Prayer is learning to say, your will be done, as Jesus prayed in the Lord's Prayer. Then we get to verse 16, and John introduces or reinforces uh, the importance of intercessory prayer. So if you're aware of your brother or a sister has committed sin, John is instructing us that we're to pray for them, intercede to God on the behalf of this brother, asking God to help that brother seek forgiveness and to repent and seek forgiveness and then continue on living for the Lord. And that would be what he's looking at as a sin that which is not unto death, a sin which does not lead to death. And when we pray that kind of prayer, we see that God will hear and will answer that prayer. So in our prayer, our prayers many times, our prayers include praises to the Lord for what he has done for us, for his goodness. We pray for our families. We pray for our church family. We pray for our missionaries, our personal needs, our personal requests, which is all good and it is great. But let's not forget to pray for those who have taken a step in the wrong direction. Intercede for that brother or that sister and pray and ask God to bring them back. This morning, I'm just so blessed to be serving a forgiving God. If you, if you reflect on your life, and as you reflect on mine, I can say I, I'm greatly blessed. Yes, imperfect, but we are forgiven. Uh, we are forgiven children of God. Where would I be if it would have been for the prayers of others? Where would we be? So we conclude with that thought and say, let's be prayer warriors. Let's spend time uh, in praying for each other. He goes on to say, a sin that leads to death. And John did not identify clearly what he was referring to. So we look in Scripture, we can see some, some stories where people committed a crime or a sin and they were, and, they, and it led to death. Look at Anna, uh, think about Anna, Ananias and Sapphira. They lied to God in Acts 5. And what happened? The Bible tells us they were carried out dead. How about Numbers 15, the man who picked up sticks on the Sabbath day? What happened? He was stoned. First Samuel, Second Samuel 6. They're taking the ark of God back, to, and one of the men walking beside the, 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 uh, was following beside the ark, and the oxen shook the, 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 the cart, so he put out his hand to hold it, make sure it didn't fall. That was Uzzah. He, he, he touched, took a hold of it, for the oxen shook it, and the anger of the Lord was kindled against him, and he smote him there for his heir, and there he died by the ark of God. And you look at that, like, all he did was help steady the ark, but it was disobedience. God said, don't touch. Then we see a sin uh, which will lead unto death will be blaspheming against the Holy Spirit, sometimes referred to as the unpardonable sin. Matthew 12, 31 and 32, Wherefore I say unto you, all manner of sin and blasphemy against shall be forgiven unto men. But the blasphemy against the Holy Ghost shall not be forgiven unto men. And he clarifies in the next verse, And whosoever shall speak a word against the Son of Man, it shall be forgiven him. But whoso speaketh against the Holy Ghost, it shall not be forgiven him. And he says, Neither in this world, neither in the world to come. So blasphemy against the Holy Ghost, for which we will not be forgiven for, is attributing something, attributing to the devil something which is really of God. And for thus, for that, we need to be very careful. I looked at that verse, and I, I, 
I believe as long as a person is alive, there is hope for him to repent. We're looking here, this, we're looking here right now, is it a sin unto death or, or is it not? And as long as there is life, there is hope. And so we think of the thief on the cross, 11th hour's life. And he was, he was there, he was, he was in the wrong, and he said, Lord, remember me. And Jesus said, today you were with me in paradise. So let's not err on, on, pe- on thinking people are, are too, done too wrong to be saved, but continue to pray. But I think what John's telling us here, what we need to consider is when a person rejects Jesus Christ as a personal Savior. So take I never met anybody like this that I know of, but they say no to Christ, and they're determined in their mind, they're determined never to, I'm sorry, never to change their mind. So they take that step, so to speak. Well, what are they doing? They are rejecting their only way to eternal life. Jesus is the only way to eternal life, and those who reject Jesus Christ, and then according to what John is saying here, there's no need even to pray for a person like that. However, let's look at the different, uh, flip side. If he is still approachable, then I believe prayer is fitting and correct. But when he comes to that place of a final decision, then prayer is futile because his eternal destiny has been sealed. It's sad, but it is possible for a person to close his heart against the Lord so persistently that repentance becomes impossible. When a person takes that step and says no over and over, and those who go on month after month and year after year refusing to receive God's grace will perish. This morning, Darrell read a verse, and at the end of one verse, he, um, in 1 Timothy 4.2, just the end of the verse says, having their conscience seared with a hot iron. Now for a time, I did not dig into that, but what does that mean? What does your conscience do? You do something wrong, and your conscience says, brother, sister, that was wrong. So we're in the day of grace. We go to God. We ask for forgiveness, and he forgives us. But what if your conscience is not there? So think about that. No conscience, without restraint. Uh, can we take it as far as saying uncontrolled? And if your conscience is, not, is seared, you don't know right from wrong. A dangerous, dangerous place to be. So what John is writing is right and is correct. But we're not the judge. We're not, we're not here to say, oh, that person has reached that point. Let's write them off. No. But if anything, let's err on the side of praying for that individual until the end. Why? Because I circle back to what I said earlier. I believe that where there is life, there is still hope. We'll let God be the judge. Let's do our part. Intercessory prayer, the importance of it. All who call upon the Lord shall no doubt be saved. Romans 10, 13, for whosoever shall call upon the name of the Lord shall be saved. John's saying once they close, once they reject Jesus Christ and say no over and over again, they're, they're, shutting, they're closing the door, which is the only door they can go to for repentance, which is through Jesus Christ. Then he makes it clear in verse 17, all unrighteousness is sin. So yes, we are confident that God will hear and answer our prayers. And I also think that we, we saw there, there's a line which we dare not cross. Yes, God is long-suffering and he is kind. 
God is wanting all to repent, but stay on the straight and narrow way, brothers and sisters. Stay far from that point of no return. What's the answer? Walk daily with the Lord. I'm going to repeat that quote from from Zwingli. Our confidence in Christ does not make us lazy, negligent, or careless. On the contrary, it awakens us, urges us on, makes us active in living righteous lives and doing good. That is where we need to be. And the third point is confident that we are in and of God, and that's in verses 18 through 21. We know that whatsoever is born of God sinneth not, but he that is begotten of God keepeth himself, and that wicked one touches him not. And we know that we are of God, and the whole world lieth in wickedness. And we know that the Son of God has come, and hath given us an understanding that we may know that he is true, and that we are in him that is true, even in his Son, Jesus Christ. This is the true God and eternal life. And he concludes with that. Verse 21, little children, keep yourself from idols. Being a child of God or being born of God, we will not allow sin to become a habit of our lives. So if you remember, if you remember back to verse 5, uh, we're overcomers. So all who are born of God are connected to that power source of Jesus Christ, and we are overcomers. We will succeed in living a life of victory. And we will have within us an overcoming spirit to help us fight off the temptations and troubles that come our way. But the opposite of overcoming is what? Is living in sin. And yes, John was fully aware of the difficulties in life and, uh, and how the, the, the struggle it takes to live victoriously. And he was aware of the wiles of the devils we talked about in our Sunday school lesson this morning. So he takes it to a next level. Those who are begotten of God will do what? He says they will keep themselves. And when I saw that, uh, verse 18, those who are begotten of God will keep themselves. Here we see a choice, a decision for victory over sin lies within. So Jesus is our power source within, and he provides us with the power and with the ability to live victoriously. But we need to stay connected. So God provides the power, but we have a responsibility. How many times do you say, well, God, are you living in victory today? Are you living free from sin? No, we don't ask if God is, but we ask if we are. And here, we keep ourselves in him, and when we do that, we'll keep ourselves free from the snares of the devil. L.W. Teeter on the phrase, keeps himself, I quote, being born of God, he, speaking to the person born of God, has partaken of God's character, truth, and spirit. Rephrase that. If you're here this morning, you're a child of God. You have taken on God's character, the truth that God has, and his spirit. So if you're with us this morning, like that, he goes on to say, goes on to say which is so powerful that the wicked one, the devil, of course, cannot touch him. So let's just park there for a second and just, again, reflect and think back of everything that God has done for you and me. Just think of what he has done. Earlier I said, where would I be without the prayers of others? Where would we be without Jesus Christ? I'd asked that question a couple weeks ago. Where would, would, would we be? Would life even be worth living? 
So we thank God for the, the gift of salvation, the precious gift, one he's worthy of our thanks and gratitude each and every day. But now, we see, we have, we have taken on his character. We are filled with his truth. We are overcomers. We possess power against the devil. And the list goes on. And we praise him for his abundant blessings. And then the blessings continue in verse 19. And with more confidence building here, we are of God. Think about it. When you become a child of God, you're not on your own. You're one with God. He says in verse 19, we're aware that the whole world around us is cradled in the arms of the wicked one. So the unsaved world, they are functioning under Satan's dominion and power. But those who are of God, those who are with God, are protected by him. They are functioning under the power and control of of our Heavenly Father. And a proper relationship with God results in confidence of our position in Christ while we're living in this world. Those who rely, who are of God, rely on on Him as a source for their attitudes and actions. Ask yourself the question: Are are my actions, or your actions, our thoughts, and our attitudes, and our character, are they all a reflection of God? As you go about your week, are you reflecting God to the fullest? Which is why we say we are who we are because of Him. And brothers and sisters, we are so blessed. We get to verse 20. We know, again, we love that. We know, confidence over and over here, that Jesus has come. And the understanding that uh, Jesus gives us enables us to know God on a more personal and intimate way. Jesus Christ is a true God. And to know him is to have eternal life. So we know Jesus Christ. We know that he is true. And that's, that's a key phrase in the world that we live in. You know, we're bombarded with false ideas from every side, but with confidence, again, we are aware that knowing Jesus Christ is knowing truth. Recently, uh, someone said, I don't care what the truth is, I just want to know the truth. And it was not referring to a scripture, well, that's more in politics, not which, where, where we're not going. But the fact is that knowing Jesus is knowing truth. You want truth? You need to look to Jesus Christ. We are in him. We are one with him. This is just, again, so beautiful. We're part of God's family because we believe on his son and his Holy Spirit dwells within. He is the true God, and he sent Jesus Christ. Why? So that people might know and experience eternal life. We are driven because of the hope that we have of someday meeting him face to face. Little children, keep yourself from idols. It's a call to avoid devotion to false ideas and false gods. Alfred uh, Plumer said this, that in Ephesus, every street through which John re- John's readers walked and every heathen house they visited swarmed with idols. So maybe helps us understand John's concern for the believers that he was writing to. But what a concluding verse. Again, when we consider everything that God has done for us, how he invested his son to redeem you, to bring you back into a right relationship with him. He gave you everything, as in verses, he is everything to us, as the verses I read there in Psalm. And here at the end, we see a pleading verse. Words of warning, at the same time, words of love. God loves you, so he says, child, do not apostatize. Child, keep yourself from idols. 
Child, the choice is yours. God loves you. Follow him faithfully. And again, it is just so, so beautiful. Our confidence in Christ does not make us lazy, negligent, or careless, but it awakens us and urges us on and make to live to righteous living and to doing good. As you leave, think about what God has done for you. As you have your quiet time tonight, tomorrow morning, think about what Jesus Christ has done for you. We often talk about he has, he has paved the way, and he has. But the way is the straight and narrow, which leads to eternal life. And this morning, you can know that you have that when you live a life according to his will. We live with confidence of our salvation, of our eternal life. We, live with, we are confident God will hear and will answer our prayers. And I repeat, sometimes we don't understand why they turn out the way they do, but we know God is there. We know without doubt that we're part of the family of God. And because of everything that he has done for us, we're living righteous lives, waiting for the day that we're going to lay our eyes on the face of Jesus Christ. All who call upon the Lord shall no doubt be saved. Let's pause for prayer. Lord, we come before you here this morning. Thankful for the confidence that you have given us, that we can know that we are saved. Thank you that we are confident this morning that we can know that you will hear and answer our prayers. And thank you, Lord, for the confidence that we have that we know we are in and of you. We're part of your family, God, because we believe on your son. Lord, I pray for each, every soul here this morning that you just bless them. If there's some here this morning that have not accepted you, I pray they would make that decision, Lord, before it is too late. I thank you, Lord, for all that you have provided for us and for the way to eternal life. Thank you for Jesus Christ. Lord, I too just want to ask you to just be with Philip and just give him safety as he travels this afternoon, tonight, as he re, re, uh, reunite, reunites himself with his family. You just bless him, Lord. Thank you that he could come, just continue to, just to be with that situation there. Lord, may we just quiet our hearts before you, and again, just thank you from the bottom of our hearts for your blessings upon us. Lord, we are truly are a blessed people, and we say thank you. Give us wisdom in our walk, and make it we let our light shine so others can see that we are part of your family. In your name we pray. Amen.